this morning we're going to talk about uh, the time we find ourselves in, in our specifically within our nation, and just the, the frustration that can come from that. I want to open, though, with a few verses from Psalm 37. The psalmist writes this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. In these few verses of Psalm 37, we hear this, this consistent repetition of, Do not fret, although the wicked prosper, although the lawlessness rules, although it seems like the, the wicked do not have their day coming. It, it seems like that. They seem just to keep on going. The psalmist says, Do not fret. And as you may watch the news or find your mind thinking of the current events, in our nation, it can be extremely frustrating to watch what seems to be the wicked prospering, the wicked even ruling, lawlessness thriving, and to see even evil uh, not only celebrated but legislated. And this may either be a recent fixture in your mind or something you've been watching for decades as you've been just watching things. And it can seem at times if God, A, doesn't care, or B, is, just doesn't do anything with what's going on. And this becomes even more real when this is affecting you directly. We wonder, where is God's righteous judgment when we are robbed? Where is God's justice when we are abused? Where is God's wrath when we are slandered and gossiped about? Where is it? Where is God's holy judgment when we're lied to and deceived? How, how long and how can this, this unrighteousness, this injustice stand? How can it at times thrive and spread and rule while we reap the consequences through anger, frustration, pain? Where is God? And won't He judge and correct this evil? He will. But now is the time of mercy. While we endure evil rulers, as we witness shameless immorality going on around us, as, as immorality is celebrated, as we experience being wronged by others, we need to see in Scripture, as we will look at in our passage, that we now live in a time of mercy, a time where God is calling people through His proclaimed word to repentance and faith. He does not judge them immediately when they sin, because He's allowing this time of mercy, not wanting any to perish, as Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. God is being patient with the wicked that are ruling. God is being patient with the sex traffickers in our world. God is being patient with baby murderers in our country. 
as being patient with rapists, child abusers, homosexuals, the proud, the unjust. He's being patient. But judgment is certain. God says in Romans, that he sees all of it and that the lost are storing up wrath in Romans 2, 5. Jesus talks about this, the time between his first coming and his second coming. He says in John 3, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might save through him. And then he says, later in John 5, showing that the time of mercy is, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's a son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so God does not tolerate the evil that we see going on. God does not tolerate at all, but he's patient. He's withholding judgment, final judgment, because he's waiting for his people to hear the call to repentance and faith in Christ. And what we're going to see in our passage this morning is that this cost of this time of mercy is very costly. It has cost the cross of Christ. It costs the rejection of Christ, and we'll see it costs the rejection of Christians as well for this time uh, of, of mercy. And that's what we see in our, in our passage this morning. Now, before we get into this, let me, let me just be clear. This is not a condemnation or anything talked against rightfully hating evil or being frustrated and concerned about what's going on as we see, as we have been seeing for years in our country. That's not what this is. Because we are called to be godly citizens. We're called to want our nation to prosper. We're called to rescue those in danger. Rather, as we'll see here, this is a call, as we hear in Psalm 37, it's a call to not fret especially in a way that hinders our own discipleship and our own work for the kingdom of God. It's a call to continue forward in our mission to proclaim the truth of Christ in this time of mercy. It will cost us, but we'll continue because it's cost Christ so much more. And so if you have not, open your Bibles, go to Luke 9. We are towards the end of Luke chapter 9. Almost done to Luke 9. This is probably one of the most pivotal, let me say it differently, uh, Luke makes a clear turn in his, his gospel account here in Luke 9 in the first verse we're looking at. But what we see here in the first part is the cost of this mercy is the cross of Christ. And I, I'm kind of playing a little bit with mercy because we're looking specifically at this time of mercy between the first coming and the second coming of Christ where God is being patient with the evildoers. Not tolerant, not at all, but patient but judgment will come. But enduring mercy beyond that comes at the cost of the cross of Christ. And so we see verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this sentence portrays the absolute sovereignty of God and Jesus determined to go to the cross. He, Luke introduces the phrase with when the days drew near and literally... It means to, to fill up completely. And we, we've actually saw this word. It, it gives a good picture. In Luke 8, when the, the disciples of Jesus are in the boat, and there's a huge storm, and they're, they're scared. They're, they're professional fishermen, and they're scared. And it says, Luke says, that their boat was filling up completely. It's the same word, filling up 
completely. And so what's the significance here? The significance is this. It has always been the plan for Jesus to go to Jerusalem and die. The amount of days were already affixed before the foundations of the earth. And now the days are filling up. They're filling up and they're almost completely full and the time is near. This is exactly what Peter proclaimed at the, on the, the day of Pentecost. He preached, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So this happened, and Peter's saying, this was all according to God's plan. The days drew near. God knew the days were here. This was all planned. I mean, it looked, I'm sure, from the, 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 the perspective of the disciples, that this was absolute chaos. They came in the garden to arrest them, and they got out of there. Then they saw their leader crucified, and then they hid in despair, thinking it was all over, and they're probably going to be next to be arrested. Yet, God was in complete control. And it's kind of like we're, right now, can seem things are out of control. Whether personally, financially, relationally, things seem out of control. The future seems unknown. Or in our country, seems things are on the, the brink of chaos. Yet, God is completely sovereign. Do not fret. And, and I don't want us to miss this uh, implication as well. Christian, God knew all, every single shameful and disgusting and evil thing that you have, are, and will commit. He knew all of it. And yet he still went to the cross. And how freeing it is to know that God knows everything about you, and yet he still went to the cross for you. And so Luke focuses here in verse 51, not only on the cross, but also Jesus' resurrection and ascension, as he writes, the days drew near for him to be taken up. So the time drew near for Jesus' crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. It's coming. It's drawing near. It's almost completely full. It's time for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to take his throne. And this, is, this should pump us up because we've been hearing about this, especially at Jesus' uh, the, uh, at his birth, the events surrounding his birth. We've heard from the, the angel Gabriel of this king who is coming. We've heard from uh, Mary as well as Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, kind of prophesying this king is coming, the Savior is here, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings is here. And now it says here in our passage that the days are drawing near. Literally, they're almost completely full. They're getting filled up. And so Jesus, in, in light of this, this filling up of the days, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this is where things kind of turn in the account to Luke. To set one's face towards something, it, it conveys uh, determination, purpose. We see this phrase in the Old Testament uh, at least two times. One time it speaks of the Syrian king. He set his face towards Jerusalem to take it, to conquer. He was determined to conquer it. We read later of the Israelites in Israel who set their face toward Egypt because they wanted to flee persecution and, and at that time flee God's own commands to stay. But they set their face towards Egypt because they were determined to go. And so we see here that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's determined to go to Jerusalem for you and for me to die. He has been predicting his death. We've seen it in Luke 9 already, twice. We'll see it more times here continuing. But he's been predicting it now. And now he goes to go do it. And as I said here in Luke 9, that, that this, and this is unique to Luke, this turn, 
this definitive turn to Jerusalem carry us through, carries us through the rest of Luke. Luke 13, we'll read that he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. This is his focus through all this. Chapter 17, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Uh, chapter 18, and to, taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem. Chapter 19, as he heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. Chapter 19 again, and when he said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Think of all the distractions in these next uh, weeks as we go through this. All these things going on. He teaches the disciples a ton in the next few weeks. And he continues. His face is determined. He's going to the cross for you and for me. He's determined. And it's on his way to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, that Jesus will pay the cost of mercy. And that is the cross of Christ. And how sweet that is. The Lamb of God, as we just sung. The Lamb of God, O Lamb of God, to know that our sins are forgiven. And not forgiven, as we so often do sometimes, where we, yeah, we forgive you, but then we throw it back in the face of our spouse. We throw it back up into the face of our kids or our parents or whatever. But this is completely done. When we're forgiven, we are forgiven. The mercy of God is final. It is finished. David sung of this, this sweetness of mercy in Psalm 32. He sings, Blessed, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The mercy of God, this mercy of God, Jesus died, so you don't have to. And I say that, I was writing this. I was like, you know what, that seems kind of distant. Yeah, yeah, we had to die. But what about this? Jesus died, so you don't have to agonize whether or not God is happy with you. Jesus died, so you don't have to worry if God is for you or against you in this particular situation. Jesus died, so you don't have to punish yourself with shame and guilt even after you repented. Jesus died, so that Christian, you don't have to worry about gaining God's favor because Jesus already gained it eternally for you. God, because of Christ, Christian, is eternally a gracious and favored disposition toward you. You don't need to worry. The mercy, the cost of mercy, is the cross of Christ. Now we move on into the next few verses. We see the cost of mercy is Jesus' rejection. And I mean that in two ways. One, as we see here, uh, or what we just kind of saw, Jesus' resurrection, rejection, I'm going to get that right. Jesus' rejection in the sense of being hated by people and epitomized on the cross, killed, the cost of mercy. But also this, the cost of this time of mercy right now where the wicked are not immediately judged, where it seems like the wicked rule and prosper, this time of mercy, the cost is continued rejection of the King Jesus Christ. Continued by millions and millions of his creatures spitting in his face, saying no, and disobeying him. And don't let this just roll into your mind and out of it, this idea, because the gospel to repent and follow Christ is not a suggestion. It is not like, hey, here's an option. Give this a try. If not, you can, you can just move on. The gospel is not a suggestion. It's a command. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ because there's no other way and judgment is coming. But you can flee to the cross for mercy. And so you've got Jesus the King and he endures during this time of mercy. He endures millions and millions of his own creatures 
spitting in his face. How long and how many times do you think you could spit in the president's face before something happens? And yet the king, Jesus Christ, in his time of mercy, he endures and he patiently waits, wanting everyone to come to Christ. And so we see here, verse 52, And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And so they entered the village of the, the, of the Samaritans. And so they were in the northern region of Galilee. Now they're heading south to Judah where Jerusalem is and they have to go through Samaria or go around it like most of the Jews do. But Jesus goes through because his face is set to Jerusalem. And so he starts heading there. And if you remember, uh, when we looked at John 4, this was a while back, it may have been a year ago, uh, with uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, you would remember the hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews. Uh, Just a little reminder, the Samaritans were a a mixed race of Israelites with non-Israelites. And the Jews saw them as traitors to the faith, while the Samaritans... They viewed themselves as the true Israelites. They had their own version of the Torah. And they did not worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Rather, they worshiped at their own temple at Mount Gerizim. And so you have this hostility. And so Jesus enters, instead of going around, as many Jews usually do, he enters and he sends messengers to make preparation for him. Uh, Whether that meant to, to stay there or to teach at a large group setting as he had been doing. But we read here that the people don't receive him, they reject him. And this is not that big of a surprise. Because Jesus has been rejected by everyone else. It's been a common theme. He's rejected by Jews. He's rejected by Gentiles. He's rejected by the Samaritans. He's rejected by men, women, children. He's rejected by those older. He's rejected by politicians, religious leaders, shepherds, soldiers, lawyers, carpenters. He's rejected by family, friends, strangers. His rejection is absolutely widespread. As Isaiah prophesied, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And John, in his his prologue to his gospel account, he says this. He explains rejection of Jesus' rejection this way. He says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own And his own people did not receive him. He created the world. It was literally created through him, but yet they reject him. He goes to his own people, and yet they reject him. Over and over, Jesus rejected. The king rejected by his own subjects. It is through the rejection of Christ that you, Christian, and I are accepted by God. And received by God and are shown mercy. And during this time of mercy right now, as the wicked are not immediately punished, as rulers who promote lawlessness and immorality, as they prosper and rule, and God does not judge them right now, it does cost Christ that they reject him. They reject what he commands. They reject him as the rightful king, and they mock him. He's mocked by creatures who know God, Paul says in Romans 1, but suppress the truth. As we read in Revelation, where, uh, this, this image of God causing this, this uh, great uh, earthquakes and whatnot, and then rather than the creatures, God's own creatures who know that God exists, rather than repenting, 
They go to caves and ask for rocks to come fall on them, to kill them. And so the cost of this time of mercy is the cross of Christ and the rejection of Christ. And ending with our passage here, we see that James and John did not take this rejection very well. Verse 54, And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, you can just hear this anger, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. And so John, James and John, they're asking Jesus, do you want us to call down heaven and just incinerate the whole village? And you can kind of hear an echo of Elijah on Mount Carmel when indeed Elijah did call down fire from heaven and just consumed the, the sacrifice in the test of who is God at that time. You can kind of hear uh, an echo of that. And so the disciples wanted Jesus to wipe out the whole village. You can hear their zeal for Jesus' honor. How dare they reject Jesus Christ? But as Jesus will explain here, this current period that we live in is not one of instant judgment, which is deserved, no make, no make, no, make no mistake there, but it's a call to mercy in Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. And it's in this time, like James and John, who were rejected, felt the experience of that rejection because they were with Christ, we as Christians will also feel rejection as we're rejected for who we represent and who we proclaim, and that's Jesus Christ. So this cost, right now, this time of mercy, where God is being patient with our wicked rulers, being patient with those that hurt us, being patient with those who malign us and, and slander us, being patient, when wanting all to come to repentance and faith in Christ. A cost of that is that we will be rejected because of Christ. Jesus writes, or I should say, tells his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will know, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And we know this because God does not judge people immediately. Our nation mocks Christians, mocks Christians in in TV shows, mocks Christians on the news. They mock the values that Jesus proclaims in his truth. Because this time of mercy, people may slander you or socially isolate you because you hold to what Jesus prescribes in his word. Because of this time of mercy, evildoers and promoters of wickedness rule and promote and legislate to restrict God-ordained value of life in the womb, marriage between husband and wife, and God's design of male and female. And we know this. And uh, seemingly things, the cost may grow greater in the days ahead. But as we see in this passage, we will take the rejection on in the chin and we'll continue on in our mission. That being said, what does that look like practically for us? 
There's a great passage in 1 Peter. Actually, the whole, the whole book is fantastic in terms of suffering righteously. In chapter 4, Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so in this, this call, during this time of mercy, where God does not immediately judge the evil, the evildoers, the wicked, we're called to suffer righteously. And Peter lays out there, what does that mean? It means to rejoice knowing that we are blessed, to not be ashamed, to glorify God, to entrust our souls to a faithful God, and to continue to do good. And it means, as we see in our passage, to continue to proclaim the truth of Christ. If you go back in verse 53, I skipped, uh, intentionally, I skipped the reason that Luke specifically lays out why the Samaritans rejected Christ. And it says, they rejected him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. That is, they rejected Jesus because, they re- because Jesus recognized the true temple was not in Mount Gerizim, as the Samaritans believed, but was in Jerusalem. And that's where he was headed. And this was not uncommon for the Samaritans. Many Jews went through or around not to stop at the, this fake temple in Mount Gerizim, but to continue to Jerusalem where the true temple was. And so Jesus is rejected by the Samaritans because he does not affirm what they believe. They reject him because he does not agree with their religious system, their beliefs, and their values. Just as people today will reject the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus is Lord and Savior, he is coming, he will judge, but he has given us mercy. There's mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith. And we tell them just that. They reject Jesus because they know what he taught. They knew what he stood for. They knew where he was going. In the same way, it is wrong to avoid rejection by avoiding and not sharing the truth. It is wrong to avoid rejection by concealing the truth. It is unloving to avoid rejection by keeping the life-given truth from anyone. And I'm talking about the truth for the gospel of salvation. I'm talking about the truth... uh, for how a Christian ought to work at his, at his workplace, how he, what he ought to do with his finances, in all areas of life. Paul writes, in 2 Corinthians, he says this, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And he's not talking about the thoughts in our mind. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about all the false philosophies. He's talking about all the the false worldviews, false religions, false ideas of Christ, false teaching of Scripture. He's talking all of it. He says that any and every thought that is brought against the Lordship of Jesus Christ 
we destroy those arguments, Paul says. Why? Because it is Christ. It is only in Christ that they will find salvation. It is only in Christ that there is mercy. And so we'll continue to proclaim the truth of Christ during this time of mercy for the lost. And the rejection is hard. It's not easy to be disliked. It's not easy to be uh, yelled at. It's not easy to, especially uh, uh, slander or gossip. It's not easy at all to be socially isolated because of, uh, of your, your connection with Christ and holding to what Christ says. It is not easy, but rejection is not the end. It was through Jesus' rejection that God saved a people for himself. And so we have hope. So after James and John asked Jesus if they should send fire down on the Samaritans, it says that Jesus rebukes them. Jesus rebuked them because now is not the time of judgment. It's a time of mercy. We are, we are to warn of this judgment to come. We're not to call this judgment down. And this confuses some people. People blaspheme Christ. People rule wickedly. And they act as if nothing's happening. Therefore, God does not exist or he doesn't care. I saw a video this week of a, uh, an actor. In the video, she said this. She was saying that I want to, this is what she said. She said, I want to uh, get rid of the fear of hell in you. This is what she said. She says, I promise you, she's saying this. She says, I promise you there is no hell. She goes on to, say, to go on to talk about a story where she saw some students from a, a Catholic school leaving. And so she yelled out saying, hey, I'm an adult and there is no hell. And at one point in the video, it, it got to a kind of a, a, to a, a heightened point, and she said, kind of loudly, she says, "Look, if there's a hell, may God strike me down right now, right now." And then she pauses. Then she smiles and says, "Look, no God." And if you're listening to my voice right now, let me tell you that there is indeed a place that exists that the unrighteous will go to called hell the fact that God did not strike her down does not mean that he doesn't exist or he doesn't care it means that he's being patient he's being patient he's being merciful for this period of time do not mistake God's patience for tolerance of sin do not mistake his patience for tolerance of sin this decision now of the Samaritans and for anyone listening and for our lost family and friends uh, is, a, is of massive importance. Jesus and the disciples moved on, but the decision the Samaritans made in that village was of extreme importance. If you remember in the, earlier in Luke 9, in the mission that Jesus sent the apostles out on, they're told that when they're rejected, they should shake off the dust of their feet as a testimony against them. If you uh, remember in Acts, Paul is rejected by the Jewish Corinthians takes out his garment and says, your blood be on your heads. It's a, they rejected him, and although there's not judgment there, he says, it's coming. The blood's on your head. You reject the message, that's it. And so this decision of whether or not to follow Christ, to repent and trust in Christ, to flee to the cross of mercy, is eternally significant, and judgment will come, even though right now it may not come. 
So if you're hearing my voice today, God is not indifferent to your sin. He's patient. And we endure this cost uh, of mercy as Christians as we're rejected because we're connected with Christ. But we continue on as, we, as the passage ends. They went on to another village. The disciples continued on to proclaim the truth of Christ. They continued. It is frustrating to read and hear of the injustice and immoral things that we read uh, in our nation, the things going on, the things that have been going on. We desire justice to rain down on the wicked, on our on the wicked rulers. We want righteousness to be upheld, and this desire is good. But we cannot forget this time of mercy where God desires His people to come to Him, to find mercy and salvation. And we need to remember, you and I were once in this group. You and I were once in this group. And if Jesus would have brought justice early, we would have been condemned. So in this time of mercy, a time where the wicked may rule, may prosper, because God does not immediately judge them, we trust in God and we do not fret. We continue to go to our workplaces and work for the glory of God. We continue to give an answer when people ask us for the hope within us. We continue to, to raise our children in the discipline and structure of the Lord. We continue to, to live in our marriages in such a way that they're a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we continue here as so We will continue to preach the word. We will continue to, to preach the truth no matter how much we'll be rejected, how much we'll be maligned, slandered, all that good stuff. We will continue because that is the only hope there is, is the life-given truth of Jesus Christ. And so we continue because in the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. Pray with me. Lord, we do, uh, God, we do look at our, our nation, uh, not only our nation, but the people who have hurt us in the past. Lord, we, we deeply desire for your righteousness and your justice to rule, and that's a good desire. But Lord, we, uh, may we patiently wait for your, for your judgment on the on the iniquity as you wait patiently wanting all your people to come to you for salvation and Lord may we continue to pray for for our leaders and Lord we do pray for our leaders we pray that they would turn to you and as Bob said earlier and see that Jesus is Lord not what they think not what they want but Jesus Christ is Lord and so we pray for, for, your, for patience. Uh, Lord, may we have hope um, that you are Lord, that you are coming back, and that you are King. And Lord, we thank you so much for the mercy that you paid for, that we are forgiven. It is finished. God, we are eternally thankful. Amen.